It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's news channel with financial advisors Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory. Now, here's your host, Casey Hendrickson. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. You're listening to Wise Money with Corn Financial Group. Casey Hendrickson here. Got Kevin Corn, Mike Bernard, Josh Gregory. And again, uh, we have a website that you can go to submit all of your financial planning questions, wisemoneyradio.com. You can also give us a call and leave a voicemail if you prefer, 574-222-2000. Just leave your question right there on the voicemail box. Health savings accounts obviously are becoming more and more popular. We're hearing about them more and more every single year for those of us who have employers that provide them. And because of rising health care costs, insurance costs, and everything else, there's a ton of employers that have now gone to an HSA as a way to go ahead and help their uh, their employees. So, of course, you can get them through uh, the healthcare marketplace if you're doing Obamacare, or you can uh, actually go through your employer. So it all just kind of depends. Now, before we get in the nuts and bolts of this, what do you guys think? Are, are these things good? Are they bad? Are they here to stay? Are they just kind of like a fad that's going to go away like like Kevin wearing Speedos 1983? <laughs> oh, please go away. <laughs> yes. I can't wait for that one to go away. S-P-E-E-D-O-U-G-H. <laughs> that is so true. Yeah. So. I, I, these are not a financial fad. I think they're here to stay, personally. Literally walk in the studio this morning, do my normal routine... Use the restroom and post it on the door at the studio is mandatory insurance meeting. We've got to talk insurance changes. Then I come in, I come in the studio here, pull up my email just because I'm crazy and want to try and somehow multitask and look at email. I've got three questions from clients, title HSA. So these things are here to stay. It's the time of year. Yeah. And one thing that I would make sure and kind of separate out, because Casey, you you had referred to an employer providing an HSA. And what you want to think about is the, the question, am I eligible for an HSA? Correct. And I am eligible for an HSA if my employer provides a high deductible health plan. So take those two different yeah. uh, acronyms. HDHP, high deductible health plan, that's my health plan, and then the HSA, that's a, that is a bolt-on component should I choose to bolt that on. And even if this doesn't apply to you today, maybe you work for an employer that still has one of these sweet Cadillac plans that seem to pay for everything, the trend has been to move towards a high deductible plan. It's, it's been moving that direction really since the Bush era. Uh, that's when these HSA plans really came about. We were, as a firm, quick to jump on board with them because it lines up with our philosophy on healthcare. Our belief is that one of the ways to reduce the amount of spending that happens on healthcare in this country is to incentivize people to act more like a consumer. And, you know, unfortunately, the healthcare industry for, for so long, and, and I, this is really because of the way that health insurance is structured or has been structured in this country, we are not, we're not behaving as consumers. You know, the, the healthcare industry is the one place that you go where you don't really pay attention to the price, for example. A lot of times you don't even know what the price for a service is going to be before you march into a, a doctor's office or you have some procedure done or anything. It's unlike hiring a mechanic or a landscaper or uh, a roofer. You know what the price is up front and you do your shopping, you do your negotiating, uh, whatever is available to you to reduce that price before you spend. Yeah. And and back in the day, you used to, and I had partners. Partners was a company, an insurance company locally here. And you had your partner's card and you'd go in and you see the doctor 
and they'd say, oh, do you owe us $5 or $10? Nope, you don't owe us a thing. And you'd go back for a sore throat and you'd have a breathing test and an EKG and a number of other things. <laughs> I'm serious. I, I had my commercial driver's license at the time. Because uh, when I was in camping and I drove the bus and I, I went in for my my annual physical and they said, uh, we're going to do a check your prostate. And I said, are you kidding me? <laughs> but no, no one knew who was getting paid. And, and I'm assuming what things cost. And, and I'm assuming that was covered in the deal. So they did it. And there was no cost containment, no management of this thing. And... <laughs> But it's it's that way in, in all medical things. I said, I remember being in the hospital. My wife had just given birth to our daughter and me calling down to the cafeteria and going, how much is this? And they go, oh, it's it's part of the room cost. Okay, great. So it's free? No, it's not free. Right. I said, well, how much does it cost? Well, it's a part of the room. So is it already included in the price that's already costing the room or is it going to be add on? Well, it's going to be an add on to the room. Okay, so what's the price? Well, it's a part of the room. They won't tell <laughs> Unbelievable. you. And they're the only industry that gets yeah. away with not doing that. Yeah, so right. everybody's heard of HSA. It helps you be a better consumer, price shop, and that sort of thing. But what is an HSA for people out there who have not encountered them yet? So the HSA is a savings account that can be paired with a high-deductible health plan. So the high-deductible health plan is what makes you more of a consumer of your medical spending. Because you've got a high-deductible and you're going to be paying out the first large chunk of whatever your medical expenses are, that forces you to say, hey, it should, do I need this? What's the, really the cost of this thing? So it's the high deductible plan, health plan, that, uh, that helps you become a consumer. But the HSA comes along with that. And a health savings account, HSA, it's a tax advantage or tax sensitive medical savings account that you can contribute to and get some tax savings on that and then draw money out of that for certain expenses tax-free. Emphasize that tax yes. free. That's the big benefit. You get the tax benefit up front. You get a write off on your tax return for making a contribution to this account. As long as it sits there in the account, if it's earning interest, you're not paying tax on that. And then when you draw it out for qualified medical expenses, it comes out tax free. It is a beautiful thing. It's a way for you to, if you're going to have these, these big medical expenses, you may as well not pay tax on the dollars going into it. Yep. And the, and the flexibility of the things that you can use it for make it really amazing. But the idea is if I'm going to put $1,000 in to my HSA this year, I don't pay taxes on that $1,000. And then that money sits there and it comes out tax-free if I'm using it on the on the appropriate things. And it is it is a great way to use pre-tax dollars to pay for your medical, your dental, your eye, all kinds of different things. So we already know that you have to have a high deductible uh, insurance through your work and things like that. Is there any other eligibility eligibility issues that we have to talk about? Nope. Okay, nope. so that's you need a high deductible health plan. And we should just clarify that point, though, that not every single high deductible plan out there is HSA eligible. So if you're wondering if you're, uh, you know, allowed to open up one of these HSA accounts, uh, you, you may need to talk to someone in your uh, human resource area or uh, your employer, that kind of thing. Okay. So how do you get money into this thing? Yeah. So there's a couple ways you can get money into an HSA. The best way, in our opinion, is right out of your paycheck. Payroll deduct HSA, have it be deducted from your paycheck. The reason why we like that is it, it 
saves you your normal federal and state tax, so it's deducted right there, but it also, it also saves you your FICA tax as well. So those those dollars avoid that 7.65%, depending on your, your age limit, or excuse me, your income limit. So, uh, so that's our preferred way. The other way that you can contribute to the HSA, though, is if you aren't able to do it out of your paycheck or for budgeting reasons, you just weren't able to do that for some reason, then you can just transfer money and deposit it into, a, into the bank account, just like any other bank account. And that's what you're going to have to do, depending if you if you're an owner of a corporation. Yeah. Or there's a, there are mm-hmm. a number of rules around this, so you, you you might not want to try this at home. You might want to really work with someone who can help you. But we love the idea that if you put a thousand dollars into an HSA, and you you save seventy six dollars and fifty cents that you're not paying. In FICA tax. And again, you're accomplishing that by having a little bit pulled out of each paycheck throughout the year. The downside to that, though, is it takes you all year to get your contribution made into the HSA. And if you have some major medical expense that comes up early in the year, you may want to take dollars from your bank account, your emergency fund or whatever, and shift it into the HSA in one lump sum. You know, for Three years in a row, my wife and I were uh, were having babies. Well, she was having the babies. <laughs> I was there. Um, <laughs> but the the cost of giving birth and and you know bringing a new new life into a family it's expensive, right? So we had to hit our deductible each of those years, and we didn't have the whole calendar year to pile up money to pay for the deductible. So we needed to do it in a lump sum early in the year. So is there any kind of a limit on how much you can put in every single year? Yeah, the government sets that limit for... Shocker. Yeah. And mm-hmm. sometimes they increase it and so on. But if you're, if it's just a single coverage, then the limit for 2015 is $3,350 that you can put in in the calendar year. If you're age 55 or older, you can add another 1000 on top of that. If it's a family plan, then your contribution limit for 2015 is 6650 So they made it almost double, but not quite, just to throw you off. And if you're 55 or older, there's another 1000 you can put in as well. And almost every year, the number changes as well. It does. So if you go down to your local credit union or your bank and you open up an HSA, they are going to keep track of the, the limits for you. And even if you have to ask them every year, hey, it's time for me to make my contribution. How much can I do? They'll tell you. Okay, so is there a, a best time to put it in to get a tax benefit here or throughout the year, but the, but one key point though is you they didn't they weren't set up this way initially, but now you can actually make a contribution in before April 15th to help you on your taxes for last year. If so, if it, the account is open before the end of the year, you right? You got it. Oh, that's the so catch. difficult. Right. Go okay. see someone. This can't be an afterthought. You have to be planning ahead, and there's not a lot of time left in the in this calendar year, so this is something you need to be looking into. At least get the account open and decide when your taxes are prepared whether or not you're going to fund it partially or fully or not at all. And as personal experience, your human resources department may know an awful lot about this. They don't have all those ins and outs. Yeah, uh, remember, They're not professionals in this. They're going to be able to get you all the information that they can from the meetings with the provider, uh, so you want to get all that information, we all recommend you then take it to a professional that deals with this. A financial planner is going to know the ins and outs of this. Now, coming up, what we're going to do is we're going to, you know, okay, what can your HSA be used for? Because Kevin touched on that a little bit earlier. And what happens to that money 
at the end of the year because that's always a huge concern for people of losing money if they don't spend it. So we'll talk about that coming up on Wise Money with Corn Financial Group here on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Welcome back. Once again, you're listening to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Casey Hendrickson here, Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, Josh Gregory joining me. Now, we're talking about health savings accounts, or HSA for short, and we left off at how much money you can put in there. Is there a best time for taxes? And now what we have to do is kind of say, all right, so what can the HSA actually be used for? You got this money in this account. Uh, Can it be used for only certain medical things, only medical things? What are the uses of an HSA? Qualifying medical expenses is how it's written up in the code. And it used to be you could just use it for over-the-counter stuff or just about anything medical. Now it's got to be a qualifying medical expense. No plastic surgery? I don't know. Non-reconstructive non-re- plastics. Medically necessary? Yeah. Well, not medically, but unless you count your, your psyche. But you do need a, prescri- <laughs> you do need a prescription for it uh, in order to buy medications. You need a prescription in order to use HSA. But you can use it for your copays and your deductibles and your dental expenses as well and your vision. So you just all that. automatically, I mean, people should probably be relatively comfortable with the general things that you're going to go to a doctor for that are normal. For health needs. It yeah, should the, be big, okay. the big takeaway that Mike mentioned, though, was it used to be over-the-counter drugs. So if you're at the pharmacy loading up on yeah. children's Tylenol, uh, you know, that, that could be used for HSA, uh, or you could use the HSA to cover those expenses, but not any longer. You have to have a prescription, even if it is over-the-counter. And people have been noticing you go to the doctor and all of a sudden you're getting a prescription for something you can buy over-the-counter? Yeah, this is why. Yeah, <laughs> This right. is the reason why all of a sudden they're giving you a prescription for something you buy over-the-counter. Uh, all right, so people have the money in the bank account. The end of the year comes because there's a limit on your your contributions per year. What happens to the money that's left in there at the end of the year? Do they lose it? Does it roll over? What? It stays there, thankfully. This is not like the flexible spending accounts uh, that used to be more popular. The old use it or lose it phrase is not something you need to worry about with the HSA. Those things it can stung. keep on accumulating. Yeah, I hated those things. This also, though, points to you becoming a consumer of your medical uh, your, your medical costs because the old use it or lose it FSAs really just spoke to, well, it's been a pretty good year. I might as well go charge up a whole bunch of unnecessary medical expenses or something like that. So because the money in the HSA is your money and it rolls over year to year, you're not going to lose it if you don't use it. Yeah, you're more careful with those dollars. All right. So when when you have uh, you know the, the HSA decision made, you want to go ahead and you want to open one up. We talked about your employer might have one. Uh, I think uh, Josh mentioned that you can go into a credit union or something like that. Where else can you get an HSA from? Well, a lot of times the insurance company has a relationship with some bank or something like that. And they're real quick to try and get you to sign up for that HSA account, right? When you're signing up for the health plan. Typically though, those come with huge costs that you probably won't see in the fine print. I've seen some as high as $4 per month. They're going to charge you just to have the account open. The reason why Josh mentioned the... It's an account's maintenance fee. You want your account maintained, right? <laughs> that's what the commercial said. Good point. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's, well, <laughs> so that's why Josh mentioned the credit union. We actually, around here, we tell a lot of folks to go to a credit union or a bank and make sure that they're not charging you a maintenance fee and make sure that you've got a debit card that comes with it or easy access to the money so you can just pay 
uh, pay for your expenses with it. Yeah, there are some credit unions and some banks that really uh, have set up a kind of a, a teaser type of deal to, to get business into their credit union. They, they offer these great HSA plans that are paying higher interest and no fees and whatnot, mostly because they know that you're limited in how much money you can put into these accounts. So they're not going to give away the farm. But, you know, if you can earn 1% on your HSA through a local credit union, that's pretty good compared to what most typical bank accounts are, are actually paying. All right, so let's shift gears a little bit. I want to talk about some of the planning strategies that are available for HSAs. And, you know, should, should I just try to pile a bunch of money in there? And if so, can I then invest it? I mean, how, how does all of that work? Yeah, you, you can. And depends on the situation. If, if that makes sense, I've got a handful of clients where part of our overall financial plan is to max fund the HSA every year. And hopefully we don't use it. Hopefully they don't use it that much. And even one individual that I saw this past week who literally pays out of her checking account for medical expenses, she doesn't want to touch her HSA. If you get up to a certain size, a lot of banks or companies will open it up where you can then invest those dollars for the future if you'd like. So if you stockpile your contribution every single year for several years and you just got, you know, like twenty, thirty thousand dollars in there, a bank may decide to allow you to go ahead and reinvest. Yeah, it's basically opening up a brokerage option that you can buy and sell stocks or bonds or mutual funds inside of it. And at that time, it really becomes more of a growth engine. There are folks who are planning far out into the future and they're seeing their HSA as another type of retirement savings account, if mm-hmm. you will. Okay. They're accumulating these dollars they're going to use in their later years. Yeah, and for sure, for some high-income folks, this is one of the few deductions that they can actually take advantage of. Mm-hmm. So we tell people, fully fund this thing. If you can, in an, in an ideal world, if you can fully fund this and then pay for your expenses out of cash, you're in a great position. Uh, you're setting the table for something positive down the road. All right, so what are some of the other planning strategies that you might recommend for an HSA for people out there who might be looking to jump into this thing you know, brand new now. Yeah, I, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump on that one while Kevin and Josh think about some some others. But if you guys don't have any answers, they don't. Only they're they're I'm here to learn. Right actually, they are scrambling right now. Everyone <laughs> trying to come up with something intelligent to say. Uh, if you're 65 or older and have a bunch of money in your HSA, it then operates just like an IRA. HSA money, when you pull it out for qualified medical expenses or you could pay for your health insurance, your long-term care, or your Medicare premium, it will always come out. If it's for a qualified eligible expense, it will come out tax-free. But once you turn 65 and you pull those dollars out, if it's for a non-medical expense, there's no penalty. You pull the money out to supplement your income. You do have to pay tax on those dollars if you don't use it for medical expenses. But it's really treated just like an uh, a, an IRA or another retirement savings vehicle. So for a lot of folks, this is a big planning strategy is, hey, let's let's overfund this thing and use it as another tax-sheltered uh, retirement bucket. Okay. While you were stalling for us, I did come up with another one here. You're welcome. Thank you. Uh, you know, I, I've seen quite a few folks who are going on Obamacare, you know, on the Uh, Affordable Care Act. They're getting their health insurance through the marketplace. And one of the key features of Obamacare is that if your income is low enough, you can qualify for certain tax credits that help reduce the cost of your insurance, the, the premiums. 
Well, an HSA contribution is a way to help squeeze down the amount of income that's being counted for uh, the, the Obamacare credit. So, you know, you, you're kind of killing two birds with one stone. You're setting aside dollars to help cover your out-of-pocket expenses, and you're squeezing down the cost to you of having that plan all by working the system. Interesting. Yeah, that is actually, there's a ton, there are a ton of planning opportunities that spring off of what you just mentioned, Josh, because your your tax credits for Obamacare are based off of your income. Well, what income number? Is it your taxable income? Is it your gross income? It's actually your modified adjusted gross income. And HSA deductions come in on the first page, on the front page of your tax return, so they actually do reduce your adjusted gross income. That means, and here are the spider web of planning issues that, that can benefit from this, yes, you can get credits for Obamacare. Yes, you may be able to lower your adjusted gross income and now get more child tax credits for any child you have in the house under the age of 17. You could lower your adjusted gross income and now pay less tax on your Social Security. You could now become eligible for the affordable, uh, or excuse me, um, American Sa- Opportunity Credit. Or right. Savers Credit. Or Savers college Credit. credit. Sure. College credits. So a lot of tax calculations or deductions or credits are based off of this magical adjusted gross income number. And the great thing about HSAs is, is it actually reduces your adjusted gross income. And because of that, and, and in the biz we call that an above-the-line deduction, you don't pay state tax on that money either. Now, is there ever a time where somebody who qualifies for, <clears throat> excuse me, who qualifies for an HSA, is there ever a time that you'd recommend they don't get one? The, so this, this is a show about financial planning. So if your financial plan or your financial life is set up where you need to reach other goals and other goals or other issues are just taking higher priority on your financial life, yeah, I've told people, yeah, you know what, don't, don't fund that thing right now. Don't fund it this year because you've got higher, you've got bigger fish to fry here in your financial life. So I don't have to stop funding my Death Star. I'm That's okay. correct. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you're good. Priorities. Yeah. All right. So coming up, uh, we got a couple of other things we got to get to. We got some questions and uh, things like that. And of course, if you have any questions for the group here at Wise Money, just go to wisemoneyradio.com. You'll see the form to submit your financial planning question there. It can be any question you want. Just uh, go ahead and fill out the form, hit send. We will read it on the air. You can also give us a call and leave a voicemail if you prefer to do that. Give us a call at 574 574- 222-2000. Leave your question on voicemail. And again, we will address it on a future program. We've got more Wise Money with Core Financial Group coming up on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Welcome back to News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. Casey Hendrickson here. You're listening to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Again, Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory are joining me. And again, if you have a financial planning question, wisemoneyradio.com, or you can leave a voicemail. Leave your question that way at 574-222-2000. So guys, we got some listeners' questions here. We have Ron from South Bend, 34 years old. My wife and I are just getting started with taking our finances seriously. How much should we be saving for retirement? In the last episode, we did a we, we highlighted a study about how much you need to save in order to become a millionaire. 
And so I, if, you, if you didn't listen to that episode or you missed that part, I'd go back and, and listen to that because we talk about really there's a lot that goes into planning for your retirement. There are a lot of variables. When can you start? How much are you going to spend? Will you have a pension and social security? How much risk do you want to take? So how, how much can we expect that your investments will, will perform for you? But a rule of thumb and rules of thumb are very dangerous. I would tell, I would tell Ron... Thank you for the question, Ron. But then I would tell you, probably 15% if you're starting at your first job. 15% of your gross income if you're if if this is your first job and you're just getting you're just getting started. Uh, how I would back into that is there's this analysis that says Social Security will probably account for about 40% of your retirement income. And the amount of your income that goes into Social Security every year is a, is just over 12% total. You put in your 6.2 out of your FICA, and then your company matches that. Combined, they should equal about 40% of your retirement income. So if you then add another 15% on top of that from your very first job, because again, you're paying in Social Security from your very first dollar, your first job, just rule of thumb there, that should get you to about... 80% of your pre-retirement income, and that should be should be enough for you. You know, I would be pretty sympathetic to someone, though, who is just getting started saving for retirement, and to go from zero to 15% overnight, uh, it, it might not work, right? So what I would encourage you to do is begin by contributing at least enough money to your retirement plan at work to get the full employer match. The free money that you're... Your company is leaving out there on the table for you if you just are contributing enough. Make sure you do at least that bare minimum. But then begin increasing your contributions at some measured pace. Maybe it's 1% every quarter. And keep going until it hurts. <laughs> and then go a little further. Because you can always you can always eke out a little bit more if you just push yourself, right? Yeah. And you know, for, for most people, if they stop somewhere in that 12 to 15% range then they're getting themselves in the hunt for that that goal. Yep. Doesn't mean that it's the right amount to be saving, but you're at least getting started. You're building up some resources that you'll be able to plan more specifically from in the future. And at some point down the line, you're going to need to abandon this, uh, this uh, uh, rule, rule of thumb. thumb, right? Abandon that strategy and get a specific plan in place for yourself. One that is looking about looking at your um, your particular lifestyle, your goals for when you want to be done, what kind of needs you're going to have in retirement. Are there going to be any people like kids or, or parents that are going to be dependent upon you in retirement? Those are all individual things that are unique to your story and your plan. And a rule of thumb just can't capture that. Okay. Got Jamie from Mishawaka. My employer just sent out their forms to sign up for benefits next year. It's that time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what is accidental death insurance and do I need it? Well, what you want to look at, it, it, when you look at accidental death insurance, Jamie, I, sometimes it's accidental death and dismemberment. So mm -hmm. it gives you a certain amount in the event that you'd lose a limb or you'd lose a another limb or <laughs> you'd lose, yeah, lose eyesight or... Yeah. You know, it, it's basically some of these injuries that occur, there's some kind of payout that, that can happen. But the main feature of it is if you pass away due to an accident, 
then it will pay out a death benefit to the beneficiaries that you've named versus, you know, most life insurance, it's going to pay out no matter what happened to you, whether no matter you get cancer you or whatever. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I was younger and I had to sign up for this benefit, I asked my dad, what should I do about that? And he said, oh, for sure. Sign up for that. And I said, well, why is that? And he said, well, uh, all the guys at work where I work are signed up for it. And I said, well, why is that? And he said, because we had this guy that signed up for it and died in an accident. Yeah. And so he got the benefit. And so we all believe that that was possible. So we signed up for it. It's an interesting thing to look at when you look at the cost of it. It's in most cases, it's not very expensive and it's not very expensive because it's unlikely that that occurrence is going to happen. That's, that's why if it, if, if, if you dying via an accident, there was a high probability of that happening, it would cost much more than it actually does. I think it does tempt a lot of people into signing up for it because it's so reasonably, it's so inexpensive. And I think there's a lot of listeners out there right now who might be maybe swallowing hard thinking, oh, I I think I just signed up for that and avoided the actual life insurance because I saw this, it said life insurance on it, and it was cheaper, so I got that. And we just, we've been talking about the RV industry over the past couple of weeks, and that's an industry where things can happen. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, and so it, it, would, would you just forego the accidental death and dismemberment someone, and just go with life insurance and normal health insurance? If someone had a full needs analysis done and, with a planner and got real good assurance that, yep, this is the amount of coverage that I need, of life insurance that I need, I would forego the accidental death and dismemberment coverage. Right. You need, a po- you need a policy that's going to pay out no matter what. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, the question I would ask Jamie is, is your family going to be hurt any more or less financially if you pass away because of some unexpected accident as opposed to an unexpected health concern or something? No, the, the, the damage to the family, the pain to the family is the same no matter what. So you need a policy that's going to pay out no matter what. Not, um, you know, one that's just dependent on you dying a certain way. What, what about compounding them and having both? With the low cost of accidental insurance, you know, let's say you have a million dollars of your life insurance, but, you know, maybe you want to get to, you know, 1.2 or 1.3. Would the lower cost of the accidental help get you there? Yeah, if, you know, there's a tool out there called an accidental death uh, rider. Yeah. It's kind of an add-on to a, a base policy. The base policy will pay out no matter how you pass away. If you happen to die due to an accident, then you get this extra benefit on top. Okay. And, you know, you, you guys have heard me say before, I, I work with a lot of surviving spouses, people who have lost a spouse, and I've actually seen these policies pay out. Uh, I, I've worked with clients who have received an extra benefit, this accidental death uh, payout, because of some tragic event that occurred. And in some cases, it has made all the difference in that client being able to survive financially. Yeah. So the temptation in my mind is to say, oh, thank goodness for that accidental death policy. But it was the fact that life insurance paid out is the reason why they are going to survive financially, not the fact that it happened to be an accident. So to me, I, I take that same conviction and just say again, Get a policy that's going to pay out no matter what, because none of us know how and when we're going to die, but we do know the damage that it will do to our surviving uh, family members and loved ones. 
Yeah, if, if there's if you have a finite amount of dollars, then for sure get the policy that's going to pay out no matter what. If you if money isn't an option and you want to do an accidental death policy, that's fine. Again, the cost is quite often fairly reasonable. Mm-hmm. But if if there's a finite amount of money and you had to pick one, we'd say pick the one that pays. And I would actually couple it. You, you, Casey, you mentioned should you couple these together, which is a great idea. I'd actually couple a regular life policy after doing a full needs analysis to make sure I know I've got, I've got a good amount. I'd have that coupled with a disability policy. Disability income insurance is one of the most overlooked insurance tools and financial planning tools out there. But statistically, it's one of the greatest risks that we all face. I'm dealing with it right, right. now in my own family. Sure. So, and so that's a big deal. And so to then, to, to avoid a disability policy because I've got a dismemberment policy, yeah, you might be missing the target there too. I'd have, a, I'd have a good life insurance policy that pays out no matter what with a good disability insurance policy as well. All right. So, Jamie, basically what the guys are saying is uh, look elsewhere. Yeah. Another policy is probably going to be best for you. All right. we got more listener questions coming up. Once again, I want to remind you, you're listening to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group here on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. Welcome back once again. You're listening to News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. Casey Hendrickson, Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, Josh Gregory. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. We're doing listener questions right now. Eric from Granger. Man, I get this one a lot, guys. What are your guys' take on LifeLock and other identity theft protection plans? Oh my goodness, this is becoming a much bigger issue as time goes on. I have gotten no less than 15 letters this year from various doctor's offices, insurance companies, financial institutions, saying that they have been the victim of some cyber crime or Mm -hmm. an attack of some sort, and that my information or my kids' information has maybe been compromised, right? And then a lot of times the the letter goes on to offer you some sort of credit report monitoring service or or something like that. But you know how many of them I've actually responded to? Zero. And it's not because it isn't important. Yeah. It's because I'm busy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And you are too, right? And because of that, I, I think it's so important to have something like LifeLock in place something where you are delegating the responsibility to someone else to be monitoring your own credit report and activity because uh, there's a reason why they say this is the fastest growing white collar crime out there, identity theft of some sort, right? It's a big deal. It leaves you vulnerable. But the fact that you are busy and too busy, in fact, to monitor your own credit, that's exactly why you need to do it. Yeah, well, we, and, and here's the thing. I used to be in document security professionally. This is this is what I did. So I'm very familiar with FACTA. And those doctor's offices like you're talking about, and while they'll say, oh, we're the victim of a hack or something else, what we ended up finding out when we were going around doing this document security evaluation is that nearly nobody, especially those who are most required to by law under HIPAA, medical facilities, nobody properly disposes of your documents. Nobody. They throw them in the trash. By the way, it's illegal to throw any customer's paperwork in the trash. You can't do it. Mm-hmm. It must be permanently destroyed beyond the point of repair. Yeah. Or there is serious financial penalties and government penalties that are tied to that. Plus, the company unlimitedly is responsible for anything that might happen with a compromised customer. Wow. Yeah. So 
We're talking phone numbers, names, social security numbers, email addresses even, and your physical address. All of those things must be permanently protected. Companies don't do that because services like a shredding service or yeah. an incinerating service or something like that, they're not cheap. But so these places, they get hit sometimes and they tell you, oh, hackers got us. It may not be a hacker. They might not be very good with your paperwork. Yeah. And they might be throwing it away. Uh, and LifeLock, while they say that they have some proprietary stuff, they may, as yeah. far as monitoring and that sort of thing, they do everything that you can do on your own. Right. However, to Josh's point, how many of you are doing that? Exactly. Right. No Nobody. One. Yep. Uh, right. So it may, it may be who of you to have a service like LifeLock or something similar to that, just so you have somebody constantly doing what you can do yourself, but you're not doing it. Yeah, that's a huge issue. I just had a friend who was flying from Florida up to Michigan, and he got notified that his debit card was used in South Carolina. And so his debit card wasn't any good for his trip from Florida to Michigan. And it's a huge, huge, huge inconvenience. So what we there are some things that you want to do to provide leadership to your own financial situation here. And one is to, on an ongoing basis, once or twice a year, pull a complete credit report to make yeah. sure that no one is using your credit. And then a lot of times there are a couple different ways that people are protected there. Mo- typically most homeowner insurance policies have uh, some, you know, maybe a 5000 or $10,000 set aside mm-hmm. for credit repair or uh, cleaning things up for you in the event that your identity is stolen. And then there are some very affordable other uh credit repair and and cleanup services that you can uh, buy on an annual basis. And it, it is, if, if you were going to spend the time, like Josh said, you got 15 letters, and they offer a service for a year. A year or two years. Yeah. So if Not long. If you were doing that, you, you would have to be the mother of all administrators yeah. and able to, in order to keep all that stuff straight. Right. Yeah, I can't even remember to flip the mattress at home. You know, <laughs> how are you going to remember to do that every six well, and, months? And, and, here, and here's the thing: like, there's nothing wrong with delegating things that you can do yourself because you want to go ahead and divert your time to something you got it. That, that you want to do it. There's nothing, yeah. and there's nothing wrong with charging for that service. Yeah, because I see a lot of people go, LifeLock just does whatever I can do myself. Okay, great. Are you doing it? No. <laughs> okay. Um, by the way, I I don't have an affiliation with them, but I do recommend Credit Karma. Credit. And and Credit Karma with a K. And the reason I like them is that you don't have to give them a credit card or anything like that. And they will go through two of your uh, credit scores and they will notify you of changes to your credit. So we typically recommend people go to annualcreditreport.com. You can get your credit report there free every single year, but Credit Karma Mm -hmm. will monitor your scores and you don't have to sign up for something and then cancel or worry about it or anything else like that. Well, one of the cool things too is the credit card companies now, like Capital One, they show you. Yep. They yeah, show you what your credit yeah, score is. That's excellent. Yep. All right, uh, Jim from Niles. I just switched jobs and have a 401k at my old job. Do I just leave it where it is, or what are some of the other options that I can do with that? Well, the options are getting more interesting on an ongoing basis here. The uh, federal government has a lot to say, and if they have their way, they're going to say a whole lot more <laughs> about what your options are, Jim, and what the 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 bureaucratic uh, burden is on for you and for your advisor and how you do that. But for sure, when you look at what you've got in the old 401k, you want to talk to your advisor and, and get an opinion. Am I better off 
leaving it there or am I better off moving it into my new employer's plan? Am I better off rolling it out and putting it in an existing IRA? There are a number of different options that uh, you, you have available to yourself. Yeah, Tim. textbook, you just hit three of them. You can leave it there if the plan lets you. Not all plans let you leave it there. Some do. You could leave it there. You could roll it into your new company's 401k, possibly. What I don't like about that is your new 401k has the same, just probably limited investment choices as, as, as your old one did. Probably doesn't have a lot of the core component of a good diversified portfolio, so but you could roll it into the new 401k. You could roll it to an IRA. actually like that option the, the most. You have a lot of flexibility in your investment choices with an IRA. And actually, IRAs have been a around for such a long time. The, I the, the internal revenue code around what you can do with IRAs is pretty robust. There's, there are a lot, there's a lot of flexibility that you have with IRAs. Even in Indiana, some protections over uh, protecting those dollars if your spouse goes into a nursing home and, and so on. So there, there's a lot of protections and flexibility with, with with IRAs. So we actually like that one, that one the most, especially also when it comes to starting to pull dollars out for retirement or doing some other tax strategies like a Roth conversion. You can do that with an IRA. You can't really do that with, with a 401k. And then the last option I would say is the worst. You just cash it out. Right. Don't Pay a big do penalty. That don't do that one. Don't do that don't. one. All right. So we have Becca from Elkhart running out of time here, but since this is an HSA program, my company offers two health insurance plans, a PPO and HSA. What do you recommend I do? I like the HSA. I I I, I do. I'm I'm in favor of becoming a consumer of your medical expenses and having some ownness on yourself to make healthier choices to avoid maybe doing some preventative stuff to avoid going to see the doctor as often. And I love the idea of all of the tax benefit and tax strategies that you can do by funding an HSA, reducing your adjusted gross income and so on. So I don't know. I mean, you have to look at what prescriptions you're on, how often you go to the doctor and all of that. But on average, I'm actually a big fan of the HSA. Okay. Anybody disagree with that? No, no I wholeheartedly agree. agree. Okay. Yep. All right, uh, go to wisemoneyradio.com if you have a financial planning question, and we can answer your questions like those questions we just answered on the air. You can also leave us a voicemail question if you prefer, 574-222-2000. For, uh, of course, if you want uh, financial planning, corehorn.com. That's corehorn with a K, corehorn.com. For Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group, I'm Casey Hendrickson. Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, Josh Gregory wish you a very good weekend. We'll see you next week. Securities are offered through Securities America, Inc., member FINRA SIPC. Financial advisors offer advisory services through KFG Wealth Management, LLC, doing business as Corhorn Financial Group. KFG Wealth Management, LLC, Corhorn Financial Group, KFG Insurance Agency, and KFG Tax and Business Services are separate entities from Securities America, Inc. Tax services provided by KFG Tax and Business Services and insurance services provided by KFG Insurance Agency. Listen again next week to Wise Money on News Talk 95.3 Michiana's News Channel.